Welcome to Dose of Support, a podcast for healthcare professionals to preserve stories and provide a dose of support to each other through community and shared experiences. We're going to share successful and sometimes not successful self-care methods. And I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner and a professional just like you. Remember, I'm hosting this podcast, but I'm not your healthcare provider, and my guests aren't here to provide healthcare advice either. But we do encourage you to seek out care from your own healthcare professional. And although we're sharing stories from healthcare, I intend to fully adhere to HIPAA and protect privacy. And remember, this podcast is not related to any employer. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned, everyone. listeners, welcome back to Dose of Support. Today is a little different because this is part two of Clearing the Air with Dr. D. That's right, Dr. Shanda Demarest is back to discuss how she is an environmental systems nurse, what we can all do to help this problem, and she's going to discuss her own self-care in healthcare. Um, If you haven't listened to part one, please do go back. It gives a good overview of the problem and a little bit of Shanda's background as well. So welcome back, Shanda. Hey, thank you very much. Good to be here. All right. Well, so we left off during part one with like this huge problem. I feel like we, <laughs> you know what I mean? So can you just kind of bring us back to that? Where What were we talking about? Yeah. Yeah. You bet. Um, th- this is what it feels like for me every day when I go to work, right? Like I, I left the day <laughs> before knowing there were huge, enormous things that none of us really quite got to yet. Um, so yeah, let's let's take a step back and summarize. Um, maybe I'll just do a quick recap of who the heck I am again. So I'm, you know, I have a seven year history of being a cardiac nurse. Um, spent some time in higher ed, and now work for a nonprofit called Practice Green Health, which is all about helping hospitals and health systems reduce their ecological footprint. So climate work environmental sustainability, energy, water, waste, etc. So so Vanessa and I had a, a big chance to chat about that together last time. And we talked a lot about hospital waste. We talked about how how much waste essentially a, a patient per, you know, per bed per day will contribute to producing just by being part of the the kind of the cog in the system of healthcare. We talked a lot about climate change, um, and so we we discussed like some of the major health impacts of climate change, primarily around air pollution, extreme heat. We we dug into allergies a bit. We talked about things like hurricanes and other severe weather, droughts, wildfires. And since the last time we talked, Vanessa, I mean, man, think think what's happened. We've had major. I think it's only been like a month between these recordings or something. Like I, I've lost track of time. Hashtag pandemic, but like it it hasn't been an enormous amount of time, and like the the world is falling apart. Yeah, well, exactly, and 
you know, it's been, call it a month, and here we are at the beginning of August 2020, where we're seeing data that 2020 is slated to be, again, the hottest year on record, which we've been experiencing, according to NASA data, for about the last 20 years. We've had a major hurricane on the East Coast, and frankly, a lot of the hospital systems I work with out there have been without power, um, off the grid, you know, almost 3 million people on the East Coast um, either going off generators or, or, or not at all. And so these are the things we're talking about. These are the health, the, you know, the, the issues related to climate change that are directly impacting human health. And so we, we parse that out a lot. And towards the end of the conversation, we sort of transition to like, okay, what, what are we going to do about this? And we talked a little bit about, you know, using data to influence action. And, you know, Vanessa, you asked me quite a few pointed questions, you know, what are these facts? What are these stats? And sitting back and reflecting on it a little bit, I I also just want to put forward this idea that when we're talking about something so ephemeral and so huge, it's really, really difficult to get numbers that accurately represent, you know, that accurately represent the problem. And I want to introduce this, this concept called the precautionary principle, which it's not only environmental, it's just a really solid, um, basically grounding in the idea that at some point, humans can know enough about a problem or a situation to have the general understanding that it's not good, right? And that there's something we need to do about it. This is a legitimate principle. Uh-huh. Like there's enough there's enough data out there to show that there's a problem and and that but the problem is too big to accurately measure everything about the like I I get what you're saying. So so you're not going to give us hard stats then, I'm guessing. <laughs> well, right, exactly. I mean, I, I can't deliver a, a clean cut. Here's the exact problem with climate change with these 90 degree angles. And, you know, in, mm-hmm. in nursing, we like some we like that in some sense. We do. But we it's also true. know what it's like to be like these amorphous beings, these mm-hmm. big bags of organs that are just operating mm-hmm. on this planet. Like we we get that softer, you know, more the, the softer science, the and other way the of folks knowing. that aren't in nursing that are listening, maybe you're in a different part of healthcare. Um, I think Shanda's speaking to like the art of nice. healthcare, like instead of the science, because there is an art to it. The way that you talk to someone, there's the, sometimes it's not measurable, but you know it's there. Like, you know, like pain isn't always measurable, types of pain, for example. And so I think that's kind of what you're speaking to, right, Shanda? Like it's, it's there, but you can't always put something to it. Exactly. Yes, exactly. Okay. And and when you think about too, you know, where we are here in 2020, when we are faced with the COVID-19 pandemic, which is like COVID-20 pandemic, in the <laughs> pandemic, when we're yeah. faced with basically dwindling resources within healthcare related to that, we're faced with economic crisis that is the greatest issue since we've had since the, the Great Depression. We're dealing with, you know, all sorts of social challenges and workplace challenges. And there's just, I don't know if it's just me. I know it's not just me, but there's this undercurrent of feeling unsettled 
and mm-hmm. just not not feeling right. It's with not the just world. you, man. Here's your dose of support. You're not alone. It's I'm I'm there. <laughs> I'm also there. Yeah. And then factor in like where we are environmentally, and it's so daunting. And so that's that concept of the precautionary principle. Like there's there's evidence, but also this is really really deep and it's really big. Um, and so when you when you think about that collective action, that individual action, there are things we can do, and there are things we need to do. Um, but there might not always be a dossier that lines that up for us. Just part of what makes it so hard. Well, in your work attacks this problem at a systems level. So there may be some other leaders that are listening to this. And so they might be able to attack this at a systems level as well. And then there might be independent clinicians or, you know, all sorts of different health professionals or healthcare allies listen to the show. And so I think people are really going to want to know, what they can do and what are some action items they can do no matter where they work? Or maybe you can speak to that higher level systems level work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And part of the important, you know, approach for systems level work is that you have a diverse team. If you work in a hospital or a health system, you know, your operations, your food system, your fleet, supply chain, your patient care, your operating room is all going to be contributing to this system level problem challenge of like greenhouse gas emissions, right? And so if mm-hmm. you're you're wanting to approach a system level problem, you need a system level solution. And the only way that you can get to that is with diversity. Um, and so that that's actually an awesome angle of this show, right? Is that, is that you aim to incorporate that. Um, yeah. So yeah, we want to emphasize. So, are you saying that, like, if we have dietitians listening, they can work with their kitchen staff to reduce waste? And if oh, we have, yeah, if we have OR nurses and OR like surgical techs, they can work with their operating room teams to reduce the the time that the OR suites are in operation. Um, like, is that what you're saying? That we have to look at at our individual areas of practice and see where we can make that difference. Yes. Yes. And, you know, think about your individual area of expertise. There's absolutely something, you know, to bring to the table. But it's important to have this basic, you know, foundational understanding of the connectivity between healthcare and sustainability and climate change before you go to your leadership and you're like, hey, I want to help reduce <laughs> greenhouse gases. You know, huge, yeah. like stop yeah. <laughs> driving the ambulances around and picking up patients because that's what contributes to climate change. Like it's, it's a little more, a little more suave than that. And so like mm-hmm. learn what this is all about. And like I said, there are a couple angles you can do that from, whether it's your area of um, specialization or your department, you know, how might the operating room contribute to waste and, and energy use? Or it can be f- from within the operating room, how can a scrub tech learn more about the specific, um, you know, materials that they have their hands on throughout the procedure? How can an anesthesiologist better understand the global warming potential of specific anesthetic agents that are used in procedures, which by the way, there is one anesthetic in particular that's 3,600 times as potent as carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. Those anesthetic gases are terrible for our climate. 
Yeah, not cool. Not mm. cool. Not my area of expertise, but if we have CRNAs listening or or anesthesiologists, y'all know what she's talking about. Um and and certainly this could apply to any specialty area. I mean, in pharmacy, I think any pharmacist or pharmacy techs know how many drugs get wasted and go into our water supply. And so I think that it's, it's hard to broadly paint this, but I want each listener to think about their area and what is wasted and what is used and what doesn't need to be used or on at all those times. Um, and let's say let's say they notice these things, Shanda. Where can they go to find out more of the background? Besides this show where they heard background in part one, is there a place they can go to have resources and data available that they can bring to leadership? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned in the last show, Healthcare Without Harm, um, which is an international nonprofit that has all sorts of resources around basically the focal areas we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, Practice Green Health is, of course, another one that works very closely in conjunction with Healthcare Without Harm. If you hail from the nursing specialty, check out Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments. Um, yeah, so so there's definitely those overarching educational resources. And when you're investigating, I, I also encourage everybody to think, you know, why, why do I care about this? Because if you're working to convince leadership, you know, uh, of course, there's going to be value in coming forward with knowledge, with, with data, some of it related to finance, if you can find the business case. But then how do you put the passion behind it? So if you care about chemicals in the workplace, share about how you or colleagues you know, or you've heard about basically higher instances of asthma in the workplace because of increased exposure to all sorts of nasty chemicals that we use to clean or increased Mm -hmm. instances of dermatitis. Or if you care about, I think pharmaceuticals in the water was a great one. I mean, I just pulled that out of there, but I think we meant, we meant to talk about this last time and we just didn't get to it because we covered so much, but I mean, the emergence of infectious diseases, and we're not just talking about COVID, but the emergence of infectious diseases because of climate change, um, like that is a whole nother problem that like we are going, it is, it is coming. It is coming for us. Sorry here. It's Right. Right. And so mm-hmm. if people can't I I it's hard for me to like when you say that you're going to have to convince people, I'm like like who? Like who are these people that just don't believe like hello, like this is I I I don't know, I'm at a loss for words and obviously you articulate this all the time. And so I I'm thinking like why would someone have to convince? Mm-hmm a group of leaders that this is important. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I understand you need buy-in, but you should just be able to say, look, this contributes to climate change. And they should be like, you're right, let's fix that. Like it should be, it should be that easy. And I I get it. I work in healthcare. I totally get how it works and that it's not like that. But this is an important enough issue. I think it's when we talk about um politics and and voter issues. I think that climate change is one of the top issues that people vote on. 
at least on the Democratic side of things, it's a very important voting issue. And so I think enough people care about this and the people that don't care about it just don't have the information. And so at least that's my rosy, sunny um, depiction of the right side of the aisle. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're getting at culture. It's not just healthcare, right? Right, like it's, right. It's- it's and it's not just the United States. Um, yeah, right. And I think part of being uninformed, you know, on the flip side of that is being misinformed, and I think that can contribute is contributing to a lot of decision making. And 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 you know, like you said, climate is a huge. I, I think it's like sort of considered a social voting issue, even though it's an everything voting issue. Um, but on both sides of the aisle here in the United States, whether you're voting sort of for or against uh, particular policymakers who have certain stances on climate, um, it's, it's so messy. Like, I don't even know that I want to go into that pain cave during this conversation, Right. Right. But, but it's culture. It's very deeply ingrained in culture. And that's why we're, you know, we're working to convince leaders and many leaders make fantastic decisions that support population health and community resilience and really deeply, you know, live out the true mission and vision of a hospital. But sometimes it gets a little muddy and it's hard to make the right decision when you have too many decisions to make and too much information. Yeah. I think that it's just like it is overwhelming for me to articulate. I'm sure that for politicians or people that are really trying to do the right thing, they're inundated with information. They're overwhelmed by the problem because it's such a huge problem. And so if anyone out there is feeling like that and they want to tackle this issue in their niche, wherever they work, um, I I want to encourage you to do that. And I, I'm sure Shanda is willing to support you in doing that as well. Um, and so Shanda... This, obviously, in part one, we talked about, you know, you grew up outdoors, you grew up loving nature, finding that as a peaceful place and part of your self-care routine. And I'm wondering, is there a particular story from working as a nurse or doing your environmental nursing that um, really drives your practice? Yeah, I think... um... I think about this in a couple ways. I, it, from a personal perspective, it's almost like there's not one one wham bam story that you know is jaw dropping or anything that influences my career trajectory. It's more like a million little stories that happen every day, and a million little instances of me sort of interacting with my surroundings. Um, and again, that's that's hard to articulate, but something with tighter boundaries that I'd like to share um, actually relates more to when I was working um, as faculty at, at teaching at the at a school of nursing, and I had the chance to like really bring this content to fresh minds for the first time, mm-hmm. and there's there's nothing like seeing people get really really psyched about this work or if you're an educator about whatever it is that you're communicating and so uh, there have been so many instances in in my experience where 
I might have a chance to give a lecture or give some sort of presentation or just interact with students, um, young people who really have a lot at stake, like you and me, um, who are Thanks learning. Thanks for calling me young. <laughs> I- Hang in there. We're going to be around here for at least at least hopefully another few decades and we're going to see some stuff. And when you're learning about some of this for the first time or when students are learning about it for the first time and just seeing their eyes light up and be like, whoa, you mean my future profession, but me being a nurse, I'm going to have something to do with this and this is going to impact my patients and I need to learn about this. It's like the the first time I ever heard a nurse talk about climate change. It it did shift my entire career path and I hope I have the chance to do that even with a small sliver for others. Yeah. Yeah, just getting the message out there. So it sounds like that I love that light bulb moment that you it's kind of what I really liked about teaching in academia as well. So as the listeners might know, if they've listened to episode zero, I taught in several schools of nursing for five years. And that was one of my favorite parts was seeing the light bulb go up. The LED bulb. Yeah. (laughs) Or like this passion, like that all of a sudden you like sparked something. You like, like you, you lit the match and then it's, it's spread like wildfire. And it's just like, you know, in a metaphorical way, not an actual wildfire, hashtag climate change. Precisely. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, that, that spark and it's just so wonderful. And I think that's one of the reasons people continue to teach, even though it pays nothing. Um, okay. So that's what influences your work is seeing people become passionate and, and sending that message forward into the universe. Um, what do you do to take care of yourself? Besides going out to nature, you have to tell us more than that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In thinking about answering this question, I, I've also asked myself the opposite. Like, what is hurtful in this work? Because, mm. um, you know, working within healthcare, there are aspects of that that are hurtful and, and, and challenging. And when you layer climate activism and environmental work on top of healthcare work, which is already challenging, there's a lot to unpack. And so, So, yeah. Like that's why Dose of Support is here is we try to unpack some of that. So speak to, can can you, if you're willing to talk about what in healthcare is hurtful to you or what you have been hurt by in healthcare, Mm -hmm. because I I have a laundry list, so feel free. Sure. Sure. Um, Relationships, relationships amongst staff, relationships with patients, relationships with patients and families, Um, just that human interaction aspect is sometimes very painful. Mm -hmm. Futility. Yes. And this is a philosophical thing, very much so, and I I acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. But being at the bedside, working with patients with, you know, mechanical assist devices with really advanced cardiac disease or organ transplants or, you know, end stage heart failure, you know, some of that 
you really have to dig down with that person and and understand like what their goals are and what life means to them. Like this is this is serious stuff, right? right. And on the other side of that, sometimes depending on other philosophical approaches to quote healthcare that is not the same goal that the team is trying to achieve. And so what mm-hmm. I mean by that is sometimes you'll have really really ill people who are nearing the end of their life and the volume of interventions and sometimes associated with pain that you're delivering to these people that may or may not be warranted or wanted is really hard. To put that in context for the folks listening, I mean, what Shanda's talking about is working in an intensive care environment where folks are hooked up to basically all forms of life support. So lots of machines and tubes and specialty drugs. Um, and it's very invasive and traumatic. And the patient hopefully is sedated and won't remember a lot of that. But that also means that they can't contribute to shared decision making about their care and about their goals. And hopefully they've written that down on paper. But often we find that there isn't any advanced care planning or a directive for families to help um, decide what to do for that person. And so we we often saw feudal care. So we often saw that we were doing all these interventions, we were being so invasive, and it it was hurtful physically, mentally, emotionally for the team, the patient, the family. And in the end, the patient dies anyway, when we could have had a comfortable, less invasive um, trajectory. And so I uh, there's a there's a lot of moral distress, so mm-hmm. y'all can Google what moral distress is. But um, I think I've spoken about this a little bit before. But I think that's what you're getting at, Shanda. Yeah. Yep. And and then take and then layer that with this idea that the the resources and the energy here's where it gets very ethically complex, right? Mm-hmm. Like from a sustainability and climate perspective, the things that you're using to help keep this patient alive, you know, see, kind of see where I'm getting at. It's, it's the double arrow. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's really hard. Other things that hurt me from a, from an environmental climate perspective, um, this idea that we are very time bound and, you know, theoretically the idea of future generations is where we are thinking out six or seven generations ahead and what is the type of world that we can help build for those people but it's really difficult to do that humans aren't really wired to do that we are these animalistic biological creatures who survival yeah we're just trying to survive the moment that we're in we're primates you know we're just trying to trying to get the next meal and this idea you know as we sort of speculate about this damage that can be caused by all of our environmental destruction there's literally this this phrase of i'll be gone you'll be gone and that to me is really really um obviously self-centered and very limiting even in the scope of how we can imagine our future to be because if you put the line there and and basically 
identify that, <laughs> you know, not my problem, then mm-hmm. you can't even help, you know, quote unquote, co-create that future because you're just checking out. Right. Right. And so if anyone is listening and you're there, like you've checked out of this problem, there is still time. There is still time for you to make a difference. I'm asking you to listen to this information and go to the resources that Shanda is providing us and see how you can get involved because there is still time to create a better place for our future generations. And when I say that, I I don't even, I'm not even talking about just people. I mean, look at all of the animals that are becoming extinct. Look at the wildlife that is being wiped out. Mm-hmm. And is that is that what we want in the future is Mars on Earth, basically, mm-hmm. which that's like in the very far distant. Like that's I, true. That will eventually the the sun will explode, and this you know human life right. on this planet will not exist anymore. Like that. That's is very existential. I know. I mean, indeed. perhaps perhaps we'll be on another planet by then. I don't know. I mean, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, that's very Star Trek, and I'm a big Trekkie for all of you out there. Um, <laughs> So anyway, so now that we understand the the hurt that you have felt mm-hmm. as a healthcare professional, um, so you understand you you understand why you are feeling this way and why you need the self-care. So what do you do? What do I for do? The self-care. Yeah. 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 Well, you mentioned being in nature and and the reason that I love that is because especially being in some of these more remote areas. Like right now I'm, I'm in Colorado and I've spent a lot of time actually like playing around in the mountains, which has been very healing. Um, and I can look out at a Vista or, you know, on the way up a trail and I can see with my eyeballs areas of the, of the earth that no human has physically touched. Like I guarantee when you're looking at these huge mountains, that there are places that no human has been. We've looked at that, but we haven't been there. And that to me is really grand and really cleansing. Um, so that's, that's like one aspect of the nature piece. Um, and of course being that has there, a lot of, that has a lot of mindfulness. Um, like with it, like, like that yes. approach to like, you're not just walking around outside, you're feeling where you are and what it means to be there and all the senses and, and you're, you're being introspective about your place. I think that that's mm-hmm. a, a little bit of mindfulness roped in there. And I mean, you probably just grew up like that, but not everybody knows how to do that. I, I don't think I grew up like that. I, I think. Oh, really? Maybe no. it was learned. And- I, there was intent behind it. And, and actually my, my, my partner is really adept at this and he kind of leads me to, to grow in that area myself. And he's out here in the mountains with me. And so that's a really valuable, um, you know, relationship to have. And so we get to do that together and other, um, other major self care. The main one for me is, is running. I mean, when, when COVID started and um, being in Minneapolis, like shortly thereafter, when when George Floyd was murdered, just like this coping mechanism I have personally, and I was putting like 70, 80, 100 miles a week in just being 
outside breathing air, um, kind of that rhythmic pounding mm-hmm. of the pavement, so to speak. Um, so that's really important. But, but then there's also just this part of me that really spends a lot of time trying to be hopeful and trying to like pick up these glimmers of, of light in this area that are, are very healing. And I think we've seen, um, I think we've seen that people are starting to make the connection between environment and health. Mm-hmm. So for, for one in, for one example, um, you know, when we think about COVID, we've seen a lot in the news about how changes in human behavior have shifted due to quarantine or, you know, basically due to, um, having to shift consumer practices, shift transportation practices, and that has led to a decrease in air pollution, a decrease I in water pollution. Those, like, have you seen those before and afters? Like, yeah. like <laughs> and I don't even remember the ones that I've seen. I think I've seen in LA before the pandemic and LA during the pandemic, there's just a skyline shot and it was like clear blue skies. You could see to the ocean. Um, and I think I've seen the same, a same kind of depiction in like, like New Delhi or something. Yeah. Like I, I've seen a lot of comparisons, like, yeah. And they're so fun to look at and it just makes you think like we, we have got to stop. We've got to stop. Like, look what can happen. Exactly. Look what can happen. We we apparently do have this collective power to shift an entire global species, humans. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and that, to me, is kind of the most hopeful thing to hang my hat on right now is that it is a possibility. It's going to be work, right? But it is a possibility. And you know, right now, this this is not a hopeful thing, um, <laughs> but I, oh, I, I want to share it so that people kind of get an idea of where my headspace has come from. I, I well, actually, yesterday just finished reading um, this book called Learning to Die in the Anthropocene by Roy Scranton, who um, he's a, a graduate from Princeton. He teaches at the University of Notre Dame, like he's very well established. and. I, I literally Googled this and pulled this quote back up because I was like, oh, I, I hope I find a reason to like weave this into what we're talking about. Um, but I think it's sort of like a, a summary that, that encapsulates these last couple conversations, but still leaves, a, you know, leaves that spark for hope, which is the problem with our response to climate change isn't a problem with passing the right laws or finding the right price for carbon or changing people's minds or raising awareness. Everybody already knows. The problem is that the problem is too big. The -hmm. problem is that different people want different things. The problem is that nobody has real answers. The problem is that the problem is us. And so the solution is us. Is us. Ooh. I just got goosebumps. <laughs> I kind of did too. <laughs> wow. Well, if anyone wants more Shanda, how can they find you, Shanda? Well, um, I'm happy to share my email for show notes. I mean, I can say it right now if you want me to. Um, yeah, to, say it. Yeah. yeah. So find me at shandademarist at gmail.com. 
Um, I'm also looped in with the Nurses Climate Challenge work and Nurses Drawdown and Alliance of Nurses for Healthy Environments and basically anything that combines nursing and the environment. Google it. I'll be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And listeners, you know what to do. You can find me at Dose of Support on Instagram, on our private Facebook, at our website, on Patreon. Please donate to the Patreon. And you can also share your story if you go to our website and find the survey link. It's under the About section or under the Community section of the website. Um, Thank you so much, Dr. Demarest, for joining us. I think that this is a huge issue that we are just you know, scraping the surface, but we are starting a conversation and it's an important one. So I appreciate your time and listeners, we will see you again next week. Stories matter. And now we've captured another one. We'll be back next week with a brand new guest and a whole different story. Until then, make connections and give each other a dose of support. Dose of Support is written, produced, edited, everything by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by Rafael Sequeira. Don't forget to rate the show or leave feedback wherever you listen. I'm punching out until next week, where we try to find some self-care in healthcare once again. Dose of Support.